Amen. Please remain standing. Tonight I would like to direct your attention to Exodus chapter 1. The Lord gave us his grace and the privilege of going through the book of Isaiah for almost uh, two years. And tonight we will uh, begin uh, looking at the book of Exodus. Tonight our text will be Exodus chapter 1, beginning from verse uh, 1 to 22. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pitam, Pitam and uh, Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with, with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shebra, and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. That, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let made male children live. The midwives said to, the, to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptians' women. 
for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is God's word, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, tonight we ask you to open our eyes and our hearts so that we all would see wonderful things in your word. Lord, point us to yourself and to the work of the Messiah, especially how you, our God, deliver your people through your Son, Jesus Christ, and preserve them till the end. Lord, help us to see that and to find our peace and our comfort and our encouragement in that truth. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I already mentioned, tonight we start receiving messages from the book of Exodus. And this will be the first sermon. And as most of you, if not all of you know, the book of Exodus is the second book of the five books of Moses. Like the other books, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it was written by Moses, the great leader and teacher of Israel. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus gives us the, conver- the confirmation of that. Jesus said to the disciples, These my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus called it, the book of Exodus and the other books as part of the Torah, the five books of Moses, the the law of Moses. You see, here in the book of Exodus, Moses was recording the history of the people of Israel, the history of the children of Israel. One thing that I I want you to notice tonight is Uh, Moses makes a reference to the people of Israel as the children of God or the sons of God. Now keep this in mind. At this point, the children of Israel have lived in Egypt for 400 years. And they didn't have the book of Genesis at the time. So when Moses came into the scene... As the leader of Israel, what was his task? 
the task, the mission that gave to his servant Moses, the leader of the Israelites, was to write the history of God's redemptive work from the beginning to the end. Now the question that you and I need to ask tonight is how did Moses know what was happening in the beginning? Well, how many of you remember what was happening in the tabernacle? Uh, God's dwelling place among his people in Exodus 33:11. Moses tells us, thus the Lord used it to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So he said, how did Moses know uh, about what happened in the Garden of Eden? How uh, the man and the woman uh, fell into sin? How, did he, how, how would Moses know? Moses knew all things that he records for us in the book of Exodus and the other books from the one and only eyewitness at the time, God himself. God told Moses the whole story, redemptive his, his story of his people from the beginning to the end. This book, the book of Exodus, is the continuation of the history of God's people, which started in the book of Genesis. If you really want to understand the book of Exodus, you have to study the book of Genesis. There is no way for you to grasp and understand the book of Exodus unless you know what took place in the book of Genesis. Genesis means the beginning or in the beginning. And this is the uh, story of God's uh, works. Now listen to this carefully. This is the story of God's works pointing to the man named Abraham. Moses, in the book of Exodus, as he tells the story of God's people, points us to this one man, Abraham, and his sons, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. And all these 12 Sons of Jacob are the fathers of Israel, the fathers of the nation of Israel. The book of Exodus, if we want to understand the whole book, the whole book can be divided into two parts. The first part, uh, chapter 1 to 18, is God's deliverance of Israel. All those chapters will show you and tell you how God delivered his people. The fact that God delivers his people from not only the hands of their enemies, but also the hand of Satan. What you see in the book of Exodus is a conflict, war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15 will be displayed for us in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh, representing Satan, coming after the seed to stop the Messiah from arriving, from delivering God's people. You need to go, you need to go beyond Pharaoh, you see, to understand the book of 
exodus, you need to understand the work of Satan. You also need to remember that God has put, he set up uh, this enmity between the seed, of, between Satan and, and the woman and the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. So that's the first part. And the second part is God's covenant with the people of Israel. Chapter 19 to 40 will show us and teach us about uh, the nature of God's covenant, uh, the covenant that he established with his people, the people of Israel. That covenant uh, that goes beyond of Israel uh, and includes Gentiles, you and I. And part of the history of the children of Israel, beloved, tells us that after being delivered by God's love and mighty hand and received the law of God, the Ten Commandments. The Israelites immediately started rebelling against God. And the law of God should uh, show them not how righteous they were, but how rebellious and wicked they were. You think the law of God would commend the people of Israel. You think the law of God would uh, um, praise the people of Israel. What the law of God did in the life of God's people was uh, it exposed their rebellious heart against God. But listen to this, beloved. Despite their rebellion and idolatry, God still delivers and preserves them because of his covenant promises. Isn't that amazing? They sinned against God. They went to other false gods. They abandoned the God who delivered them. The God who showed them mercy and kindness. And yet God delivers them and preserves them. And I want us to consider that under three points this morning from this chapter in the book of Exodus, verse 1 to 22. First, I want us to consider the increase of God's people. The increase of God's people, verse 1 to 7. And then the oppression of God's people... 8 to 14, and then the preservation of God's people, 15 to 22. So we're considering three things from our text tonight. The first one is the increase of God's people, the multiplication of God's people, and then that multiplication brought what? Suffering and oppression to the people of God, and we will see why. And then the preservation of God's people by the hand of God. Now let's consider the increase of God's people. In uh, uh, verse 1, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben and Simeon, Levi and Judah, and uh, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, and God and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons 
Joseph was already in Egypt. Now notice verse 7. Uh, verse 6. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of uh, Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. In the opening of these verses, we see the groundwork from which God delivers his people. About 400 years has passed in the seven verses that I just read for you. And God is intending getting into his purpose. Getting into fulfilling his promise for his people. You see, the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. And how did they end up here? They were brought here because of the severe famine in Israel. Because of that dire and awful famine, Jacob, you remember, took his family to Egypt because Joseph, his youngest son, was the prime minister of Egypt. So Jacob took his family to, uh, to Egypt to uh, obtain uh, help and uh, provision from his son Joseph. So Jacob took his family to Egypt. In verse 5, uh, we see all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. That was the reason why Jacob took his family, his children, his descendants to Egypt. Now, in order to understand what really happened, here we, we need to go back to the book of Genesis. How does the book of Genesis end in chapter 50, verse 22 to 26? This is how the book of Genesis ends. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, Joseph, lived 100 years. And Joseph saw uh, Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Michal, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 100 years old. And they uh, embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. What, what do we see here? Joseph made this prof prophecy to his descendants. He told them one day, at one point in your history, God will deliver you from Egypt, and he will take you back to the land of promise. That was prophetic word from Joseph. Even Jacob told his descendants the same prophecy. 
And Joseph tells his children and his descendants, when that day comes, don't leave my bones in Egypt. I don't belong here. We have a land. There is a promise. God will deliver us. Don't leave my bones here. You have to take my bones to the land of promise. You see, men in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters in Christ, they were walking by faith. They understood their history. They understood who God was and how God delivers his people. And the fact that God not only delivers, but he also preserves his people. And that's what Joseph told them. You see, in verse 6, seasons were changed for God's children. There is no more Jacob, no more sons of Jacob. No, it is just grandchildren, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, we can simply ask this question. If that was the case, where did the promise of God go? No Abraham, no Isaac, no Jacob, no Joseph. This generation here never saw the land of Israel. They only knew what it looks like to live in Egypt, in a foreign land. They have never seen Israel. Seasons have changed. As we say here in America, the old guards of Israel are dead. Beloved, this happens to all generations. Sometimes you and I think our grandparents, and I want to speak to children tonight. Sometimes children, you think your, your, your grandparents and your parents will live forever. But people die. People pass on. But what do we do when we become the actors? When we take the place of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when we take the place of our grandparents and our parents, then what do we do? This is what we should do. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them whom you sit in your house. When, uh, when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you must become diligent to teach your children the history of God's deliverance. Teach them. Tell them. Do you know why? Because when we die, our children, our grandchildren, will live with what we live. For them. What we teach them, teach them, what we show them, what they see in our life and in our teaching and instruction for them. Well, seasons have changed for the people of Israel. The question is, where is God? Did God forget his promise to the forefathers of Israel? The years of uh, patriarchs is over. Now the year of the nation has come. Now it's no more Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. It is the children of Israel, the sons of Israel. Well, notice verse 7. 
But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. I, I want to bring two features back to your mind tonight. What just happened here is, first, in being in Egypt, the children of Israel obeyed the creation mandate. What is the creation mandate? Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Being in Egypt, the people of Israel are mindful and conscious of the creation order. And being in a foreign land, they were producing children to obey God. It was not like today. We don't need too many children. We need to abort them. Even the government would fund you know, that process of murdering children. That's where we are today. But the people of Israel, being in Egypt, they were telling one another, we should obey the command of God, the creation order. We should fill Egypt with holy seed and offspring. This is not just history. This is the real Christian life. They were obeying God. That's why they were multiplied. That's why they were fruitful. And they filled Egypt with their number. Not only that, you also need to remember that in them being multiplied and increasing in number, God was fulfilling the promise that he gave to Abraham. You remember in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, the promise of God to Abraham was, I will bless you and I will make you a great nation. And your offspring, your generation will be like this. You know, their number will be the number of the stars. Like the sun. This is being fulfilled, brothers and sisters here. God was fulfilling his promise to Abraham. They were obeying the creation mandate, and God was fulfilling his promise. Today, people talk a lot about control of, uh, control, uh, controlling over a population. You know, historically, China, China's strict control over birds for almost 50, 50 years, it has been one child policy. Today, it is just three children policy. And what do you hear in America today? If you don't want to be a mother, if you don't want to become a mother, abort, abort your child. The government will help you. Family members will help you. If you don't want to become a father, just pay for ab abortion. Problem solved. You murder children. You 
disobey the creation mandate. You say to God, thank you, but I will not obey this mandate. Abortion is legal throughout pregnancy and pregnancy and accessible nationwide. And this is happening everywhere today. Should be a matter of concern for us, a matter of prayer in, in the Church of Jesus Christ. Because it directly contradicts with the mandate God gave to his people, to his children. And the people of Israel were mindful of that. Not the people of Israel, not of Israel in Egypt. Notice the people of Israel in Egypt, they obeyed the creation mandate and they were multiplied. The Lord kept the promise he gave to their father Abraham. And listen to what Moses tells the people of Israel in Exodus 10, 22. In Exodus 10, 22. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Moses reminds them, you see, your God has kept his promise. He has fulfilled his promise. Then we come to the oppression. We come to the oppression. Verse 8. Now this, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and if War breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Now the first thing I want you to remember, beloved, it's a lesson for all of us. God's blessings here on earth. When God blesses his children, when God blesses his people with all kinds of divine blessings... It doesn't mean that everybody in the world will love us or like us or support us. Salvation blessings doesn't bring joy and ease in the kingdom of Satan. In this case, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt whose character and hatred of God and his people represents Satan. Remember Jesus in John 8, 44 said about Satan, he is the father of lies and a murderer. So the Pharaoh of Egypt represents that character, represents that behavior of the devil. And in verses 9 and 10, Pharaoh told his people, if we don't do anything about these people, they will exalt themselves over us, join our enemies, and destroy us. We must stop these people from exalting 
themselves over us. You see, you read that word, they might escape from Egypt. ESV doesn't explain what Pharaoh was saying clearly. What it means is we should not let them to exalt themselves over us and crush us, destroy us. We need to stop that. They are a danger to the existence and future of Egypt. So we should do something about them. So in verse 10, the king said, Let us deal shrewdly uh, shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and become a danger for us. All this was because the ruler in Egypt was changed. The new ruler came into power who didn't know Joseph, Pharaoh, a ruler who didn't have any relationship with Joseph, with the history of Israel. So he wanted to destroy the people of Israel. So plan A by the Pharaoh in Egypt was hard labor. Let's um, exercise forced labor upon the people of Israel. Make them weak so that when they go home, they are helpless. They will not think clearly. They will be miserable. And they will not have any strength left to produce children. This is cruelty at its best. This is the work of Satan. They should not produce children. So let's make them work hard as slaves. They did everything in their power to crush the spirit of the Hebrews and make them fruitless. But the result was opposite. The result was opposite. The scripture tells us in verse 12, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So, they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. But the result was, but the more they were oppressed, the more they were multiplied. The work of the Lord. The blessing of Yahweh was with his people. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 from 7 to 11. When he speaks about what the result would be when the people of God are oppressed and crushed. Paul uh, said we are being pushed from every side, but we are not destroyed. 
press it. But we're alive. The more they oppress us, the more they persecute us, then we are more than conquerors in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what happened with the people of Israel. Beloved, remember this. The world will hate us. Pharaohs in the world will persecute us. They will come up with plans, plan A, B, to crush us, to crush the church of Jesus Christ. And I would be your witness tonight, coming from a land of persecution. The more believers are oppressed, the more they grow, the more they flourish, the more they are multiplied, the more they increase. And what does that show you? God works in and through the suffering of his people to fulfill his redemptive plan. And that's what we see here. Lastly, we see the preservation. Did Pharaoh stop? No, he had another plan. The enemy will never sleep. You see, until Jesus returns and crush the head of the serpent once for all, our enemy is not going to sleep. That's why from this pulpit we always encourage the legions in prayer, the legions in the study of the word of God, the legions in the fellowship of the saints and mutual encouragement because we do have an enemy who wants to crush us. And an enemy who doesn't want to see a church in this place. He's after the seed of the woman and the children of God. That's why you see in my third point, you will see Pharaoh doing something unthinkable, something unexpected. The ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, sat in his court with midwives in Egypt, Hebrew, Hebrew midwives. Maybe because we don't know the culture, maybe we don't know because, uh, because we don't know how women at the time were viewed, not like today. This pharaoh, this ruler, is in consultation with midwives. And he tells them, listen, I want you to go to every Jew house. And when a Hebrew woman is about to deliver her baby, if it's a son, kill him. If it's a daughter, let that daughter leave. We need the woman so that my men will marry them and the Israelites will be perished. Their existence will come to an end. But the sons, kill them. Isn't this, the, isn't, isn't this the work of the devil? The work of Satan? What did God tell the serpent? I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and the seed of the woman. 
There would be this war between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And Satan uses these pharaohs in, in, in the world, uh, starting from Egypt, will come after the seed to destroy the seed and the descendants of the seed by faith. Do you understand what Pharaoh is doing here? He is commanding Hebrew midwives to murder their own people. Murder these children. You have my word, you have my support. I will let this happen. Let these children be murdered. Well, did the plan work Work for Pharaoh? Well, in verse 17, but the midwives, they received the command, the order, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children leave. The midwives say to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Now, did the midwives just lie? You know, people always want to know, did they lie? Did they tell a lie? Did they misrepresent truths? You know, this was like Rahab reporting about the spies to the king. Like God telling Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's house and, and anoint David as a king. And then Samuel said to God, what if Saul's man stops me on the road? What, what do I do? God told him, well, you know, take a heifer, heifer with you. And if they ask you, tell them, I am on my way to offer a sacrifice to God. What, what do we do with those things? And, and we come to the midwives. Did they lie? Now, first, you know, the first, first thing I want you to understand is the scripture doesn't tell us that they lied. Read chapter 1. You will never find the word of God telling you they lied. What the word of God tells you is they feared God and God dealt with them well. There are people who always say, well, you know, they choose the less evil. The greater evil would be for them to participate in the murder, but they stopped that and they chose the lesser evil. Which, you, which will be deceiving the king. But I'm convinced that number one, the Bible doesn't tell us that they lied. And who knows if what they told the king was true, that the Hebrew woman was vigorous, strong, and they were given birth before they arrived to the house. No one knows that. 
but also God is able to give the Hebrew woman strength to give birth to their children before the midwives arrive. So we don't, we don't want to dispute on whether they lied or not. You know, we don't find that in the scripture. What I find in the scripture is the Lord was pleased with them. He commanded them. Not only that, he blessed them with families. Do you know these two women, Shephra and Pua, they didn't have children. But after they obeyed God, God blessed them with children. They have houses. They have families. They were blessed. And listen, when we obey God, what follows always is blessing. Because remember what God says in his word. In 1 Samuel 2.30, I honor those who honors me. I honor those who honors me. Did the plan work? No. Now let's finish with this. Notice what Pharaoh did. He's not going to stop. Then Pharaoh, verse 22, commanded all his people. You know? Hard labor didn't work. What he tried to do through the midwives didn't work. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The final resort was, he ordered every man in Egypt, Egyptian, to go to the Hebrews' houses and drown the sons into the Nile. When Jesus was born, King Herod commanded his people to kill all the children, two years old children, he was coming after Jesus. He was coming after the seed. Same history. To destroy the seed. But God preserved his people here. We'll see more of that next Sunday with Moses after he was born. But the, God the Father also preserved the life of his son Jesus Christ when he was born in Bethlehem. So that you and I and God's people throughout all generations would receive salvation and enjoy God's divine blessings. In 2 Timothy 4.18 Paul said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord will rescue me. And also listen to the psalmist in Psalm 37, 28. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are 
preserved forever. You and I worship this God who keeps his promise, who keeps his covenant. All his covenant promises are kept. He saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. He's sanctifying us. And he will preserve us till the end. He delivers and he preserves. And even today, even, even if we are going through uh, many trials, individual, you know, personal trials, uh, grief, sadness, persecution, suffering, Exodus chapter 1 reminds us that God is Lord over our suffering. And he uses even our suffering to accomplish his purpose. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, O oh Lord, help us to learn from the people of Israel. But more importantly, to learn from you who you are, how you deliver your people, and how you preserve the lives of your people for the sake of the glory of your covenant with your people. Help us to be faithful to you, like these two midwives. Help us to fear you than than, than men, the men of this world. As the disciples said, we also would say, it is much, much better for us to obey our God, to fear our God, than men. Help us to follow the footstep of these midwives and fear you, and then receive your blessing the blessings that you have preserved for those who honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.